Snowblind by Clarence Carter. Narrated by Danielle Muthing. Crystalline snow covered the road as Mila Parker's Cadillac slid up the mountain. People had warned her about the hazardous conditions, but she'd waved them off, relying solely on her outdated memory of the landscape. The winding road narrowed with every mile. The back end of the Cadillac had already broken loose on her twice, threatening to dump her off the cliff. If not for her fiery will and quick reflexes, the mountain would have already claimed her. Off in the distance, the ski lift's cables swung in rhythm to the merciless wind. Fifteen years ago, she rode them, eager to hit the slopes. A lot had changed since then. The road straightened and she recognized the rusted wrought iron gates. A fresh coat of paint didn't change her memory of them. She brought the car to a snow-crunching stop. The cold wind whipped her blonde hair into a frenzy as Mila stepped from the car and inched toward the gates. Frigid air tightened her lungs. Utilizing all her weight and what little traction she could muster, she shouldered into the gate, pushing it through the snow until it opened. The hinges gave an evil screech. The sun tried to break through the overcast, and she made a mental note to get back down the mountain before dark. For a moment, Mila stared at the resort, blinking in disbelief. It didn't look like it had been abandoned for all those years. In fact, it looked like it could open at any moment. A chill ran up her spine, unrelated to the temperature. Two stories of unbroken glass windows stared back at her. The lobby and bar were on the first floor, she knew. The hotel's rooms on the second According to a documentary she'd seen, the resort had been destroyed shortly after her incident. Not even the paranormal crowd had been enough to keep it afloat. A memory flashed through her mind. Come, my darling, sit next to me at the piano. A beautiful smile erupted from his lips as he placed his fingers in position. I could teach you, you know. She looked around, noticing the woods off in the distance where her nightmare had come to an end. The terror of that night had haunted her for 15 years, and she was here to end the torment. On many occasions, her therapist had told her to confront the memories, not repress them. They'd worked together over months to reduce her stress and paranoia. He certainly wouldn't approve of her method of confronting the memories. Crisp, cold air singed her nostrils. Plumes of breath rolled into the sky. She walked up to the building and brushed dust and snow from a window, peering inside. It looked just as she'd imagined, vacant. Like all buildings with traumatic pasts, ghost stories had accumulated around the resort. Skiers for months following claimed they saw him passing through the lobby or they heard him tinkling at the piano in the middle of the night. She'd never been one to believe ghost stories before, but she believed in them now. There was something about that man, something too evil to die. The knob rattled under her gloved hands, locked. She'd expected as much and rifled through her pockets. 
She pushed aside a big lighter and pulled out a black plastic gadget, looking a bit like a pocket knife. She unfolded it, exposing grooved edges, and then slid the steel piece into the lock. After moving the pins up and down while applying rotational pressure, she heard a slight click. She turned the knob and the door crept open. As she stepped through, the wind grabbed the door and slammed it shut. Jesus, she shouted, looking over her shoulder. With a hand clutched to her chest, Mila tried to catch her breath. She kicked the snow off her boots and looked toward the bar. It didn't have that beautiful fluorescent light that had once illuminated the bottles. The only bottles still on the shelves were three jars, each filled with a clear liquid. All the decor, including the deer heads, were gone. It looked pitiful. Stacks of wood that used to sit before the fireplace were gone. The love seat, which had once faced the fireplace, was also gone. Confront the memory. They'd sat on that couch, watching the fire flicker, telling stories. They'd sat together at a piano, too. Little scraps of memories came and went, the one she hadn't repressed. The smooth contours of his face came back to her, his charm, his charisma, and his prize-winning smile. She'd spent a lot of time trying to forget. It wasn't until a tabloid had picked up the ghost story that she'd even considered coming back, despite her therapist's advice. An old table sat only feet away from the bar with two rickety chairs. If it had been in better shape, the looters might have taken it, too. It had a thick layer of dust. As her eyes surveyed the remains of the lobby, she saw the piano, which had buckled under duress. One of the legs had broken, and it leaned heavily. An image of him sitting behind it, cracking his knuckles and preparing to play, flashed through her memory. The wind rattled the panes, swirling clouds of snow from the roof. A scratching noise startled her. With bated breath, she moved closer, mindful of her steps. When she moved around the bar and stared down at the floor toward the source of the scratching, she saw two rats chewing on a beer box. Their beady eyes looked up at her in surprise, dropping bits of cardboard from their tiny hands. They fled, plump little tails snaking behind them. Mila shivered, and chills ran up and down her spine. She imagined one of them on her face and began to spiral into panic. Its tiny squeaks and gnawing, even in her imagination, seemed so loud and real. She tried to comfort herself. It's freezing outside. Of course the rats came in to stay warm. She closed her eyes on the resort's dilapidated interior and tried to regroup. She performed a simple breathing technique her therapist had shown her, removing her gloves and shoving them into her coat pocket. That man, that bad man they'd made the documentary about, had been charming. She hated herself for falling for him. She couldn't believe someone so beautiful on the outside could be so rotten inside. Again, she looked at the piano, remembering when he'd talked her into sitting with him. He'd placed her fingers on the right keys and talked her through a series of notes, 
A light scent of whiskey had lingered on his breath. They'd spent the day together, riding the slopes, talking and drinking. She had gotten to the point she could mirror his notes and chords. Her boots clunked on the stairs as she ascended to the hallway above. The carpet remained, but all the paintings and decorations were missing. A strong, musty smell permeated the hall, as if someone had left the windows open during a rain. All the beds and other furniture had been removed from the rooms, only trash and coat hangers left behind, scattered on the floors. She stood, staring at the number plate of her room from so long ago, and heard rats scurrying in the walls. She drew in and released a shaky breath, trying not to scream. She pushed open the door. It looked exactly as it had when she'd stayed there, minus the furniture, of course. The carpet was the same deep maroon, and the curtains were that bizarre white flowery pattern she remembered. Aside from peeling a bit in the damp mountain air, the wallpaper hadn't changed either. If not for the documentary, she wouldn't have known he'd stayed in room 11. She crossed the hall and stopped outside his room, taking a deep breath. Her hand shook as she reached for the door. As it swung open, a loud screech pierced her ears. Mila fell backward, landing on the hallway floor as a bat fluttered out. Other than her pride, she wasn't hurt. The bat flapped and screeched before flying into a different room. She got up, dusted herself off, and tried to catch her breath. Cautious of another bat, she stepped inside. The room looked relatively normal, but didn't feel that way. Mila couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching her. Outside the window, she saw the woods where her terror had ended, and she half expected to see him standing there. As she stepped back into the hall, a loud bang sounded from the first floor. Her heart hammered as she considered the police had arrived. She hadn't yet done what she'd come to do, at the end of the hallway stood a window, which he used to check the road for tire tracks. There weren't any cars in the lot, and nobody had followed her. Carefully, she moved downstairs, taking each step silently. The possibility of another bat hurling itself toward her lingered, and she tried to shake the thought. The bottom stair squeaked under her weight, a popping and crackling, unrelated to the stair, caught her attention. She paused, curious, and the smell of smoke struck her. A fire. She stepped off the landing and, much to her surprise, the fireplace popped and hissed. Firelight danced on the lobby walls. Unarmed and afraid, Mila searched for a weapon but found nothing. Hello, she called into the lobby. Is someone in here? Not even the rats responded. Another blast of wind rattled the windows and she jumped. The warmth emanating from the fire felt nice. As she looked closer, she noticed there weren't any logs or paper, only a waving and flickering orange flame, burning without visible fuel. Smoke rolled up and disappeared into the chimney. She listened carefully. Someone had started the fire, and she wanted to know who. 
Every tiptoe felt like an hour as she worked her way toward the door. Again, she looked out the window, but found nothing. She crept around the side of the bar, hoping to catch an intruder squatting there, but nobody was there. The two half-empty jars sat on the shelf. Her curiosity got the better of her, and she grabbed one, looking for any indication as to what was inside. Nothing. As she tipped it up to look at the stuff in the light, she saw something moving in the reflection. A black mist mirrored behind her, and she dropped the jar, shattering it in an instant. Mila swung around and saw nothing. An acrid stench of alcohol filled the air. Her eyes darted around the lobby in search of the black mist. She couldn't find a trace. Other than the wind shaking the building, the only other noise was the crackling of the fire. The nauseating scent of moonshine assaulted her nostrils. She fought back the urge to puke. She closed her eyes. There had to be another way to confront her memories. Hadn't her therapist said something about hypnotism? Why was it so necessary to confront them anyway? After about a year, the reporters had stopped calling. Aside from the documentary, the focus on her had died down. When she opened her eyes, she noticed something had changed. It wasn't apparent at first, but after serious consideration, she looked at the piano. It wasn't slanted over like it had been before. Now it stood upright and looked new. The buckled leg was fully intact. Mila rubbed her eyes until she saw spots. It didn't revert to its broken state. She stood tall and squared her shoulders. It was time to leave. She ran to the door, but the handle only rattled in her palm. Again, she tried to turn the knob, but the door wouldn't open. A slow sliding sound came from the far side of the room, raising goose flesh. From a closet, the piano bench emerged, scraping across the floor, dragged by an unseen hand. Her heart galloped and she tried the door again, but the handle still wouldn't give. She turned to the window and tried to open it, too, but to no avail. The ear-piercing noise continued as the bench inched its way across the lobby, stopping before the piano. A deafening silence then filled the room, and she couldn't do anything but stare. That's when an impression pressed into the bench's cushion as if someone had sat down. She watched closely as a handprint pressed into the cushion. Once, twice. Come, my darling, sit next to me at the piano. Her feet had become cement, and she couldn't move. As she stared at the bench, she got weak in the knees and thought she might collapse. Her mind tried to scurry away, just as it had in the woods, she had to fight to stay in the moment. Enough was enough. No longer would she allow him to plague her dreams or torment her future. A blast of deep notes resonated from the piano, followed by a run of light, tinkling notes. Mila rubbed her eyes furiously, trying to wake herself from a nightmare. The keys dipped and dove as if pressed by invisible hands, she didn't have to see him to know who it was. 
daunting piano music filled the lobby, just as it had 15 years earlier. She wanted to scream, but knew it wouldn't do any good. Nobody could hear her for miles. Confront the memory, her therapist's voice said. Mind your own business, her inner voice retaliated. Her mouth was a desert. She swallowed hard against a lump in her throat and tried to steady herself. Be brave. She opened her mouth to speak, and for a long time, nothing came out. Nothing more than a long wheeze. Then she finally spoke. I know it's you, she said. The tinkling stopped. A pregnant pause fell between them, and in a sudden gust, the fireplace went dark. On edge, expecting to scream bloody murder, she waited. The hair on her arms rose, and she braced herself for the worst. Another song began. She recognized it immediately as Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. He'd been playing it when they met. Trying to sound convincing, she said, I'm not afraid of you anymore, Chris. It felt good to say his name for the first time in years, empowering even. The music stopped, and the cover of the piano slammed shut. Mila gritted her teeth. Show yourself to me, coward! The bench scraped the floor, moving back only inches. A fire reappeared in the fireplace. A transparent young man appeared before her, dressed in the flannel he'd died in. A red splotch drenched his breast pocket, where she'd stabbed him with an icicle. Incredibly handsome and sinister, he looked exactly as he did in her nightmares. He sneered. You have a lot of heart to come back here. She inched her foot to the right. He cocked his head sideways, curious. The tip of her sneaker slid further. I know about the eight women you killed. He took a step closer. It's just too bad about us not working out. Mila took a tentative step toward the bar. He grinned. We could have been great together. The thunderous beat of her heart pounded in her temples. Every breath felt like her last. His signature black hair, now translucent, flickered in firelight. Those dead shark eyes stared back at her. The award-winning smile was gone. She backed up against the shelves behind the bar, afraid of taking her eyes from him. She stole a glance at the two remaining jars. They were in reach. All the memories they'd shared came flooding back. The sweet nothings he'd whispered into her ear. The way he'd laughed at his own jokes. The lingering scent of whiskey on his breath and the way he'd played piano, unlike anyone she'd ever met. He'd backed her into the corner. Where are you going to go now? He asked. She whirled around and snatched the first jar. She threw it at him, and it passed through his body, breaking on the floor, scattering glass everywhere. He turned around to look at the damage she'd caused, giving her a second to sink her hand into her pocket. He howled in laughter. Stupid girl, you can't kill me. His face closed to within inches of hers. I'm already dead. 
She grabbed the second jar and broke it on the edge of the bar, splattering moonshine on the rug. The lighter she'd shuffled out of her pocket flicked once. It didn't ignite. It flicked again, and the bar engulfed in flames. They trailed quickly, greedily lapping at the alcohol, and moved onto the rug where Chris's transparent form stood. As if he'd been shot, Chris let out an ear-piercing scream. She jumped through the fire and threw him, feeling the cold of his ephemeral form blast her skin. She stopped only feet away and grabbed one of the chairs. I don't have to kill you, only destroy the memory. She looked around the lobby and this place. He turned toward her, his face drawn back. Get back here, he shouted. The chair slammed against the window and cracks spiderwebbed across the glass, but it didn't break. She drew back to do it again. Before she could swing, the chair disappeared. A black mist accumulated before her, consolidating into a man. When she could make out the lines of his face, she swung erratically. Every swipe of her fist passed through him. A grimace crossed his pallid face. You thought my death would put an end to this? The fire crackled behind her, growing with every minute. Pain riddled his face as if he were on fire and not the resort. Every breath grew more difficult as Mila backed away, searching for another exit. She held her sleeve to her mouth and nose, hoping to not inhale the choking smoke. He followed her across the lobby, taking his time, meandering. I don't know why you're even trying to get away. We both know I'm going to get you. The piano slid a couple of inches after she ran into it. He winced. That's when she knew exactly what to do. She turned and kicked the instrument's leg as hard as she could, but it didn't buckle. He screamed. What are you doing? The second kick cracked the leg, but it still didn't buckle. Splinters of wood jutted out of the side. Another loud scream erupted from his lips. The smoke had grown thick and she struggled to make out his face. The fire had crawled up the wall and was licking the ceiling. His knees buckled. She held her sleeve against her mouth, suppressing a handful of coughs. He screamed, staring at her. He tried to get to his feet. A third blow buckled the leg of the piano dumping it onto the floor with an obnoxious, discordant melee of tortured strings. She grabbed for the leg. You're going to pay for this, he screamed. With the piano leg in hand, she ran across the lobby. The fire had spread across the floor, and she had to be careful where she stepped. The flames had fully engulfed the bar, and it snapped and popped as the varnish boiled atop the wood. The ceiling, too, was hissing and she worried it might collapse. Mila smashed the piano leg through the already cracked pane, shattering it. She jumped through the window and landed in a blanket of snow. A sharp pain erupted in her leg, and she reached down. A broken shard of glass protruded from her skin, and without a second thought, she pulled it out. The familiar trickle of blood running through her fingers reminded her of the icicle she'd used to jab into his chest. She'd been roofied and dragged out into the woods, but she'd been just conscious enough to know what to do. 
There had been a long, thick dagger of ice hanging from a nearby tree, just sharp enough to save her life. Smoke rolled from the lobby's shattered window. Chris stood in the window, pointing at her and screaming threats. As the flames grew higher, his opaque presence grew thinner. He became increasingly transparent as the fire climbed the walls and spread to the second floor. She dragged herself backward toward the Cadillac and managed to gain her feet. The Cadillac skidded during her mad dash back down the mountain. She'd managed to wrap her jacket around the wound and slow the bleeding. In the rear view, she saw plumes of smoke rising from the resort. Her shoulders relaxed and her tension eased. She passed through the gates, looking back in the mirror one final time to make sure the smoke hadn't stopped.